so, uh, I'm skipping forward a little bit, uh, because there's a lot, well, rather the next thing just covers a whole lot, specifically, uh, Victoria Gresham, mm-hmm. and getting into that narrative. What happens after Homecoming? What's the next... You guys head to Air Pike. Um, do a lot of busy work right. and like hanging out and just chilling. Oh, but you know what happens in that return to Air Pike? Um, what happens in that return to Air Pike arc? Star whales. Or me. Oh, or I can't. Okay, you're right. I can't move forward without. We can't move meme. forward without talking about star whales. That oh was a my. joke. That, that was that became a thing. It was. It was. I didn't. None of us planned that. It was just. Like, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> Ernest gave you the door. Yes. He gave you the house, or rather you bought the house from him. Mm-hmm. And then there became the issue of uh, this is in the astral plane. Well, the tent was also technically in the astral plane So there's well. a bunch of little holes poked in the astral plane. That's how, like, the bag of holding works, too. Yeah, yeah. And Selena's like, okay, yeah, but what about stuff that lives in the astral plane? It's all too big to notice the holes. And then Selena's like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, I think, uh, another time where I had, I had kind of been trying to play her more fae-like. Yeah. That she came up with this kind of playful, weird thing that was seemed to be, like, out of left field, and where the fuck did you come up with that? Like, what the hell? And and she just went with it. Like, no, this is totally a thing. And this is something you actually do a lot. Like, with the, throughout the game, is she will find something and just kind of zero in on it, and, like, like I don't know, like, it, it cause everybody to do that, like, turn and look at you kind of out of thing. And it's so funny, and you can, and it's one of those moments that you can, like, like, you could put a a pin in it. I know we use that phrase a lot, but Uh you could put a pin in it and be, like, tracking where your fae is. Yeah. Like, when your fae comes out. Another is in Poison on the River when Selene gets really excited about dancing. That was another one. That was less conscious. I just decided Celine really likes dancing. Likes dancing, likes parties, likes playing tricks on people. Yeah. And yeah, it. I just loved the details that came through without you even realizing it. Yeah, really. And the uh, star whales just... <laughs> so shout out to the star whales. They do exist. <laughs> Anyway, moving forward. We actually, so half a step back. We need a poster that of a star whale with "I want to believe." I'm gonna, I'm right? gonna recreate the X Files one, but instead of a UFO, there's gonna be a star whale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's gonna happen. It'll be in the red bubble soon. <laughs> so moving forward into less important things than star whales, but things worth talking about nonetheless. I suppose. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You know, just the, the main quest line for season one. Not as important as Star Wars. Yeah. Victoria Gresham. And we had talked... Ah, Vicky G. Vicky G. Vicky G. We had talked a little bit about her uh, earlier, but uh, I had mentioned how the Growlers were, like, one of the one of the core items in coming up with the Fey Wild West. Mm-hmm. And it was this... It was a sound, really, that was, like, the idea behind them. The sound of just this, the growling, the growling of this old, like, two-cylinder motor just rattling back and forth and moving through the walls. And Chris came up with a really cool 
sound effect for them. Yeah. So the way that the growlers sound, it basically starts as a jaguar growling that morphs into an old Harley Davidson. Old Harley Davidson. Yeah. That's how that's is what that so it starts as an actual animal growl that becomes a Harley Davidson. Yeah. Such a cool sound. And it was oh and I figured it out of how I was gonna do it. I like turned to Megzi and I'm like, listen, listen, listen. And then she she just went Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. No, and once again, these guys were also in the in the beta test and they were just as terrified. I think this was when I like turned to you and like well, you are a sick fuck. Especially <laughs> when I described them, because like it's like the upper half of their head is gone. Yeah. To being replaced by this engine casing mm-hmm. and just a single glass eye. <sighs> so good. So but that's so but, but before we get to growlers, something happens before we get there, and that is us joining the dead man's promise. That is very true. Uh, what's funny is the Dead Man's Promise actually started as a catch-all. It was supposed to be a catch-all for this campaign setting because my previous campaign setting, which was actually my first campaign that I had ever run uh, previous to coming up with the Fay Wild West, I did character introductions super bad. Everybody like met up randomly in this town when it became under attack and it it was a mess uh people had no reason to be traveling together mm-hmm. and so i wanted like a reason i was just like okay i'm gonna create basically an adventuring an adventurer's guild mm-hmm. i mean that's but a really like, good way to do it but wild west style but wild west style make it like the old marshal service kind of mm-hmm. and and the beta group was all like They started with the premise, you are members of the Dead Man's Promise. Mm -hmm. I didn't do that for this. I thought of you guys joining up at some point, but there was almost immediately this, like, animosity that you guys had. It's because, because, like, Selene and Talia are, like, a two-man team. And so it's like, oh, you have how many members? We're going to be better than you. It's just two. I don't suck it. I don't remember like Let's suck just, it wild. I <laughs> oh poor James. I, I <laughs> shut up. Um, I I I don't know remember why it started. I think it was that idea of like the lone gunman, mm-hmm. like not playing by the rules, despite the fact that she is actually playing by the rules. <laughs> she plays by all of the. She rules. plays by all the rules. But like this idea though, of like you know I don't need anybody. Blah blah blah, and. So, and then it became this sort of, like, ongoing joke of, like, the dead man's promise is, like, not as good as us. Yeah. Um, And then, like, once we learned about the 42nd, and you were kind of describing them, and, like, you know, and we kind And it's really funny, because you didn't actually, like, tell us too much about any of these organizations. Yeah. Up front, you kind of just gave us the general layout of them, and we kind of ran with whatever we thought. Yeah. Like, you only described the 42nd as, like, being more militaristic. Yeah. Which automatically, in my brain, went assholes. Not well, not, not anything bad against mi- the military, but it, it's, the like, my personal experience um, with people who claim to be, I am of the military. Yeah. You know, they, they tend to have a dickish quality to them. They kind of gotta. Yeah. They kind of do. So it's like, okay, so a person who is 
antagonistic to most authority and is like kind of being an asshole to the dead man's promise would be real huge assholes oh, to the yeah. people with, you know, a, 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 a complex of like, I'm important because I used to be military kind of thing. Well, and it's not like none of these people, well, almost none of them used to actually be military. Um, <laughs> the original 42nd, when it actually started, those people had been just out of the military when the when the Great War ended and the Confederacy was kind of like, OK, no, none of us are going to have standing armies. And that that was agreed. Mm -hmm. And the military was largely disbanded aside from like top brass. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of like we need somebody to. We need somebody to be in charge of defense. Defense. It's just kind of like it was largely ceremonial, really. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was that was an that that was. I lost my train of thought with it. With the the DMP joining. Yeah, yeah the DMP. Yeah, we didn't start off joining the DMP, but um, I was kind of waiting for a reason, and you know, having that, it's like they're not as effective as they used to be is not a good reason. And, no, it's definitely yeah, not. Yeah, and like I know for Celine and probably Talia too. Like she's so used to being on the fringes of society. And Talia probably feels similar that it's like being part of something that's so institutionalized or as institutionalized as it is feels very strange. Yeah. No, and that's what's funny that you say that because like the DMP was sort of, it is an institution, but at the same time, it's it's an institution that's kind of supposed to be made of those on the fringe. Mm -hmm. And it, it's supposed to bring those on the fringe into the fold of society. Mm-hmm. Rather, I I see it more as making a place for them in society, yeah. not necessarily making everybody assimilate. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Having a place where you can be, you can do the weird shit. Yeah. And you don't have to really change anything about who you are, but here is where you can find support with like what like minded freaks. Yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of the people you met were the people in the towns, the people who ran the offices. <laughs> I remember because as we started. Um, uh, it does, this doesn't get too terribly spoilery because I don't think it ha actually has gotten mentioned specifically. But one of the things that, like, as Talia grows and they, you know, uh, they keep going in the story, you get more of it in season three, so I won't talk about it too much. But one of the things that Talia misses a lot is having a community. And she hasn't had a community for a very long time. So... The idea of the DMP is was actually a pretty attractive, and I think I worked out with you mm -hmm. that she had tried once. Yeah, that she was going through a town once when she was young. This is about the time that she just got Muerte, mm -hmm. and there was a poster up for DMP, and I think she was maybe like twenty. Yeah, or I think I, I think it was even a little younger. Something like that. Yeah. But, like, the idea of, like, a, a group of people... <laughs> when she was baby. When she was a babu. And, you know, she, so she had, um, she had picked up one of the posters and had actually found the guy mm -hmm. that was putting them up and was going to go ask him something. And I think he took one look. And the way we worked it out is he had taken one look at her and it was just like, she looks like a kid. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't. Like, like, don't, please don't bother me, kid. You know, I'm busy. And then in the process, you know, something, something happened to cause her to shift. She got, uh, what happened was there, they were in the street and a cart 
narrowly missed them. Yeah. Like the like the guy wasn't paying attention and they it almost hit both of them. Yeah. And she had like instinctually like jumped back and shifted slightly out of because you know she was younger, didn't have as much control. Yeah. And so the guy saw her eyes, her face had changed and immediately was just like get the fuck away from me, you yeah. freak. Yeah. So her first ever impression of the DMP was that guy. Yeah. Um, and I think we worked it out. That was the guy in the crossroads. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, is that season two? Maybe. No. But no, which guy in the crossroads? No, 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 because we weren't. No, no, it's the guy in the crossroads that she charmed. Right. Yeah. No, that was season one. That was season one. Yeah. Yeah. That was the guy in the crossroads that she charmed. That's the same guy. Yeah. They didn't recognize each other, obviously. Yeah. But the same idea. Like, but that was her first impression of the DMP is that she's different. They won't like her. Yeah. And she never even tried with the 42nd. It's going to she she didn't like one. They wouldn't have taken her, but it wouldn't. She's like, no, they, yeah, they won't even. Oh, God. She's like they would have. No, they they would have taken her until they realized what she was. Yeah. Then it would not it would not have been pretty. Yeah. So she never so in a way the DMP actually saved her because she she started with the DMP thinking that that would be a good choice for a community again because she was so desperate for a community. Yeah. And because of the experience with the DMP with that just that one guy, she yeah. was just like that's how they're all going to be. I can't, I need, I, I have to be a lone wolf. Yeah. So she never even tried with the 42nd. So in a way, the DMP actually kind of saved her from yeah. what could have been a very bad time. Yeah. But. But still, just having that eventual development though that you guys did join the DMP was both, I was happy about it. And at the same time, it was almost unexpected for me when it happened. Like I put Joshua in as like a, as kind of like a final attempt to get you guys in. But since you guys had kind of been all like, yeah, fuck authority, fuck the DMP. <laughs> right, yeah. Fuck, fuck, fuck the DMP. I was kind of like playing into it. I wasn't showing you many of the cool characters from from the DMP, just letting you interact with the town, yeah. with, the, with the office people. And I, I was going to be happy to do that until later in the story. But then you guys were like, no, but <laughs> I think like... it's because Joshua gave us a reason. Yeah. And it's like it was the first time Tally had ever heard that that was the reason why the DMP existed because she never even bothered before. Yeah. She never interacted with many of the DMP other than, you know, the like who's got the bounty. These guys. OK. Yeah. You know, it was never it was there was never a reason to to join and there was never a reason to learn any more about them and um i think at this point there was i, I don't want to say at this point there was that sense of responsibility that started creeping up on her mm -hmm. just because of what happened with celine um the fight you know how oh, yeah like between that between what happened with zachariah yeah. oh, which was yeah. the start of it your ex was the start of Talia's emotional wake awakening. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, they, it kind of triggered a sense of responsibility because what Joshua was talking about was something that as a wolf, that made a lot of sense. Yeah. You're trying to protect people. I can get behind that. Yeah. 
that sounds like a good reason to join and we'll have the resources. Yeah. Because the, one of the things that as they were like running, because the, the other thing that triggered it was running away from that guy. Oh, right. Yeah. It's like, we don't want to be at odds with the DMP. Yeah. I really don't want to be at odds with the DMP. So maybe we can work out some kind of like system where we don't try and step on each other's feet. But he then <laughs> mentioned join. Yeah. Josh was like, easy, easy way to do that. Join. Join. I will say that Talia is very sad that, like, I'm not going to spoil too much, but we never find that Crossroads guy again. <laughs> Talia wanted to go back to him so fucking badly. Yeah, at one point. Just sit on his desk. Yeah, go, hi. Oh, but like, I'll sit on the side, you know, like he's at the desk. Yeah, I'll just sit, I'll like, go up to him, don't say anything. Just sit, just pouch on the side of his desk. Mm -hmm. And you can, like, like like go up to him and put one leg up on his desk like Captain Morgan and be like hello mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah we did get to that that guy in Billville though yeah Douglas Jameson yeah we can't forget his name <laughs> uh, so going back to Victoria Gresham yes, yes. Uh, Vicky G Vicky, Vicky, G. Vicky G we had talked about how she had been a, sort of an original part of the story just a different gender <laughs> yeah and uh how her growlers were definitely a huge part. Uh, the Gretchen family actually used to have a house in Airpike as well. <laughs> in, I'm in telling you, I have like, I, I now have a weird association every time we have to go into a fucking house or just have to see a house. Any it's like, house. Is it one? Is it that one? <laughs> and it's just like, that's all I need to say for someone to be like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is it, is that, was that inner universe or out of universe? Uh, that was in beta. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah. that but was, was, that was, so that was, but in, in, in universe in beta. Yeah. Okay. In universe in beta. Yeah. There, there was a, uh, there was there was a house uh, that the players had to go to, and they fought a uh, a giant gorilla, a cyborg gorilla. Very cool. wild, very wild west. Yeah, steampunk. Yep, it was very steampunk. <laughs> That's uh, all that matters. Yeah, wasn't there also a stegosaurus? In the there beta. was there was a second. <laughs> I think this was completely missed out on first that. time. Like we were talking about this, you're really like, yeah, my Thursday group, they have a Gatling gun attached to a dinosaur, and I'm like, can I play with you? <laughs> <laughs> no, because if you if you go like if you go further south than District Three, you get to jungles and stuff, and there are actually dinosaurs living down there. Excellent. And, um. The one time that I had done anything with like random tables was with that group. And I just put together, I, I had literally been rolling on random tables of stuff. And it was like a Stegosaurus. What's this? It's not a great challenge rating. So I'll roll again to, and we'll add it together. A group of goblins. And a Stegosaurus. And a Stegosaurus. With a Stegosaurus. So the goblins are like using the stegosaurus as like a pack horse war beast kind of thing. And it was really cute. And they <laughs> slaughtered the goblins, but kept the stegosaurus. That was a good choice. Yeah. I mean, of all the choices, that yeah. is the best. That is the only choice you have is to keep the stegosaurus. Yeah. Um, sorry, we're getting off track a little. Us? Uh, us? us get off track? Oh it's my goodness. It's like we have ADHD or something. Yeah. Well, so... You guys chased Victoria through to the crossroads to figure out that clue that had been dropped earlier. Yep. Uh, 
all the way out to Yaldin with the aid of the Undertaker, mm-hmm. all the way back to Blue Peak. And Yaldin was... Yaldin is a really interesting... Okay, it was a big event for us, but I, you know, again, not to spoil too much what happens in later seasons, but Yaldin becomes kind of a... Almost a symbol? Like a reminder. A reminder. Because we were the only two DMP that survived dealing with Yaldin. Yeah. And it became this kind of like... I thought other DMP were with us. No, we weren't the only ones. The other townspeople joined in with us. Right. But it became this sort of thing. It's like they were the ones who handled Yaldin. Yeah. And it becomes this sort of like in-universe acknowledgement of not only what the DMP handled, but what Tali and Selene are capable of. Yeah. Because everybody heard about Yaldin. And Talia and Selene were kind of infamous already because the Reaper and the Wanderer in white, you know, mm-hmm. you'd heard stories about them, but you hadn't actually like, like you didn't know who they were. They were just these two like figures. Mm-hmm. But when someone said we handle, or it's like, these were the ones that handled Yaldin, that symbolized something to the entire district. Yeah. Because everybody knew what happened at Yaldin. Everybody knew the tragedy and like the desecration that happened. And these were the two that handled it. Yeah. And so Yaldin has become in this game sort of this, a marker, I think. It was the first time that like we had handled all sorts of things, both, you know, together and before we had even met. But that was the one that kind of like, like solidified these two as... Like, this is what the kind of people that we're going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that was really cool because that kept coming up. It did, yeah. And you kept bringing it up, like, for for NPCs to be like, they handled Yaldin. Yeah. Uh, I think in season two, which we'll get to um, in the next one, uh, I think Grimm was the one who told Wendellwood. It's like, Mare, they handled Yaldin. Yeah. And it's just like, that's what got him to trust us. Yeah. And I thought that that was a really cool touch because, mm-hmm. like, I I love character, I love immersion. Yeah. And that was a really cool way. And Yaldin, as brutal as it was, and as stressful as we were, both as players and characters, it it was a really cool immersion mm-hmm. into the world. It showed that you guys were really building and and affecting the world in a yeah. really real way. And I appreciate and I love that because yeah. like if I'm gonna play a D and D game unless I know it's you know, you know, just doesn't really matter, go go hog wild like bonus round is. <laughs> um like if we're gonna be in the world, I wanna affect it. I wanna yeah. do something with it. Oh, we're gonna affect the world too. Yes. We're going to make chaos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looks at the camera like they're in the office. (laughs) (laughs) Which we'll get back to, I promise. Yep. I I had to take a break because bonus round is incoming. Yeah, because I was working so damn hard. But but um, also in Yaldin, we get to meet a certain character. One of my favorites. Right. That was Yaldin. We get to meet John. Ooh. Gaspard. Gaspard. No. Oh. Oh. no, no, no. to meet, say so? We get to meet the warden. warden. Yes. Thank you. The warden. Who goes back beyond Feywild West. Uh, he was 
He was a previous mistake of mine in my in my first ever campaign. Did you guys like guess bound you will a mistake? <laughs> <laughs> I had been so used to playing, uh, being on the player side of things when I started to DM, I wanted to have like my own NPC that was constantly with the party. Yeah. That's what is called, what is known as a, a DMPC. It is not recommended. I downvote, dislike. I feel like uh, it's one of those things where, like, it can work if you know what the fuck you're doing. And I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. But then. it could so easily turn into, this is the me show. Yeah. I Thankfully, I realized that fairly early on, and I, like, heavily scaled back what he was doing, who he was known as Drake, uh, Drake at the mm-hmm. time. And he was the... The ranger who could not die. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, at the time, I had him as a warlock. Actually, oh what a surprise. wow! <laughs> well, because it was like it was like a, a heavenly pact kind of right. Kinda that that actually makes going. sense. Yeah. yeah, with tear. Yeah, and then that was the whole God War plot, and mm-hmm. then Fey Wild West came up, and I was creating the Pantheon, and I was just like, you know, it'd be really cool if this connected. No one would, like, no one would really know or care except me. Mm-hmm. Because no, but, nobody I played my first game with listens to this podcast, I think. <laughs> It'd be really nice if they did, but... Well, if you do, you know, like, hit us up on Twitter or something. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't think, I don't think any email. of them are on Twitter. Well, send us an email. Let's be legendarypodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Yeah. I mean, because all of their hard work helped create it. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know... Uh, and it was really fun to be able to bring him in, this deity that walked the earth that was kind of stuck earthside. I remember, I think you told me about him before. Yeah. And I didn't know when you were going to bring him in, but um, I was really excited by the idea. Because, like, I also know what it's like to have a DMPC. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, in my first game, I had, I didn't really have, I, I, I considered them NPCs. I was trying to craft this extremely elaborate story and made the mistake of just adding more and more. There were so many NPCs. NPCs. Part of it was actually because my players kept coming up with NPCs that in their background and I wanted to incorporate that because I really like immersion. And if your backstory can immerse itself into the world and be a big part, I really wanted to incorporate that. Yeah. But... It just got to be way too much, yeah. and I didn't handle it very well, and it turned into very much a circus. Like, yeah, it turned into it was like I feel like I have multiple characters, not not NPCs, like characters yeah. that were mine, mm-hmm. and it it just never sat well with me. Yeah, like in the long run, with it, it kind of felt like it was the me show. Yeah, yeah, like or or I'd have like multiple ones for them to talk to. And they wouldn't choose to talk to any of them. I talked to them. You did, but there was like when they came into an area, Western Fall. Yeah, Western was like, Fall was like the big first major city that they I were. did so much in Western Fall. You were you and the other drow were the only ones that did. Yeah, like I had an entire like section for each player. Oh yeah, to hang out in there was the temple district for the cleric, where there were multiple temples, including yeah. one of his god. Yeah. Uh, there was an entire rogues guild that operated in the city uh, that the that the rogue could hang out in. And yeah. then there was a, a separate church that dealt with, like, rangers and also uh, stuff for her. And 
Yeah. Those two hung out in the drow area. The other two didn't do shit. You had to try to get us to shut up, honestly. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, I loved it. It was yeah. like, that was great. But unfortunately, like, they were the only ones that did anything. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I had to keep adding things instead of taking away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a big mess. But I mean, I think that when you first start, you're learning. You don't know. Yeah. Like, you know, you have to... You, you have to get past that. And uh, your first one is always going to be like a huge mistake. Yeah. Well, uh, getting back to the uh, the warden, uh, he managed to give you guys a pretty good. Uh, he gives a massive head start. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A good. Like, a holy good, crap. A good fast travel. A good speed boost. Yeah. It was just like, OK, you need to get trout. You need to get down the trail a bit faster. Otherwise, worse things are going to happen. Yeah. And so I'm going to use what power I have to uh, shove you down the line a little bit. Thankfully, he was able to do that to get you guys to Blue Peak faster. Mm -hmm. Yes. One of my favorite little moments, like, there are little tiny things that stand out to me that I look back and I'm like, oh, that was that was silly. That was fun. Was um that the warden made Celine breakfast. Yeah. And at first she was she was about to like... <laughs> She wasn't gonna attack him, <laughs> which is like, I'm a fight. I'm a fight. And then he's like, "Here, have breakfast." She's like, "I'm not eating that." And then he's telling his story, and then suddenly she's like, enraptured and eating the breakfast. Like, oh my god, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> oh. The, image, the yeah. image of her with her plate, just like shoveling food into her mouth, like, and then and then what happened? Yeah. I really. That's one of the things I really like about John is that he has this like. He's very... Um, he's so unassuming. He's very, very unassuming. And I really appreciate that about him because it's easy to trust him. And like, and I mean, spo no spoiler, the you know, he obviously is going to have a part to play later on, you know, as the story continues. And Talia has this like interesting relationship with him. Yeah. Where it, it, it starts out very much like a... I don't know what to do about you. But then the more he offers, the more she trusts him. And now she's got a holy symbol yeah. of his. And I think and I think at this point, she's still kind of like, I, I don't really worship him per se, because I know him and that's weird. <laughs> but I definitely respect him and I definitely call for help yeah. for him. But she doesn't quite reach that point of like, sees him as a de necessarily like a deity mm -hmm. like she sees him as a deity but like separates that from the friend aspect of it because mm -hmm. it's really weird for her <laughs> i have a friend whose job is being a god yeah <laughs> it's like uh, i don't know how to categorize this so i'm just gonna leave that here yeah. again getting back to blue peak and the fight there that was a tough one. It was it was a tough one getting to Elise. But Yes. And I had a really fun time coming up with her design. Yes. Yeah, the, you're a sick fuck, but yeah. we love you for it. Yeah. <laughs> I really like the audio effect Chris you put on Elise's oh, voice. Yeah. The kind of oh, Ultron right. sounding yeah. like yeah. And, and I specifically looked for like how do you make the Ultron sound? Yeah. Well, it makes me. I loved the uh, the art that you did yes. for uh, for her as well. Mm -hmm. It's like the Inktober piece I did. Yeah, the Inktober yeah. piece I did is just encapsulated it, it perfectly. But what I'm really interested in getting to talk about is our first real appearance of the Vanasi. 
Oh, yeah, that's when that happened. Like, we had been getting whispers and, like, clues and stuff, uh, even, like, a wanted poster at yeah. one point. But this was the first time you guys had actually met a Vanasi member and encountered the amulets. Yeah. Smile with your eyes. <laughs> Smile. Smile. <laughs> no. The burning of the house in Blue Peak and the chasing down of that person. Mm-hmm. Your first encounter with the Vanasi and then your second encounter with Vanasi. On the road on back the to air, Airpike. Back. Oh God. The ambush, and I was impressed with your uh, use of the door. I was really impressed with your guys' use of the door to uh, hide Victoria. <laughs> I was like, we did good. Yeah. I think. Yeah. We. we I like did. to think we proved at that point that like we will use our resources in creative ways. Things yeah. that you give us, we will not just. They will not just be like used for their intended purposes. Like we're gonna get creative. As long as we remember we have them. Exactly. Yes. So one thing that happened in Blue Peak right after we brought Victoria Gresham in, which I kind of went back and forth on with how Celine reacted to this is when Celine and Jareth were in the bookshop and Jareth found those books that had necromancy in them. Yeah. And I remember right after like as we were editing the episode and right after we released it, I was like, ah, I think maybe Celine should have reacted worse to that. <laughs> like, she shouldn't have been so... Calm? Calm, but then I I kind of decided, no, that was a good call that she did react so calmly and didn't just completely freak out at him because, well, this Wild West story has a lot of tropes that we want to kind of adhere to. We still want to avoid cliches. Yeah. And I feel like if she had freaked out at him and been like, oh no, the, oh no, that's terrible. How dare you even look at that? No person. son of mine. No son of mine is going to even consider necromancy. How dare you? I feel like it would have been, I feel like it would have, wouldn't have worked as well. No, I don't think it would have. And it- I think that in reacting as calmly as she did, it was, uh, I don't know. I feel like it, it made more sense that, and I think probably more effective that she didn't just flip out at him. Well, I mean, it, there was a couple of different factors for that. One, Celine is, <laughs> again, she's 22 at this point. Her and Jareth are actually not incredibly close in age, but they're closer in age mm-hmm. than you know, if someone saw them together, they would not think that they were mother and son. Mother and son. When we meet Talia, she's thirty, and thirty is a far cry from twenty-two. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so like Celine can like like Celine has a closer age with with Jareth, and so there's that factor. There's the factor that he's a kid, mm-hmm. still like closer in age or not, he's still a kid, mm-hmm. and. So, like, there was this kind of, like, empathy of, like, oh, look at he's getting into that. Well, less of a... But he wasn't even getting into it. He was just curious. And he had a reason for wanting to look it up. And talking to him about it, I think, went a lot... Because, like, Celine grew up getting yelled at. Yeah. And she knows that Jareth did, too. Yeah, so... Because he grew up in the same... Because he grew up in the same place that she did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just like, how is... It's like, what is that going to accomplish yelling at him? You know, especially because all he was doing was looking at it. Yeah. And, like, there's no reason why 
looking at something and just asking questions or being curious about something means that that is inherently bad. And I, yeah. I think it, it also sets up a nice parallel between the people of the Church of the Mother who have these strict religious doctrines that the way they approach them is with enforcement. And like anytime anybody even behaves in a way that might be in opposition to those religious doctrines, the reaction is anger and violence and rigidity. Whereas Celine, when when Jareth brings this up to her, her reaction is to react with compassion and understanding that like, yeah, that makes sense that you might want to know more about this, but this isn't the right way to this isn't the right way to go about this. Yeah. It also set up a precedent that Jareth didn't feel like he needed to hide too much from us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it, like this was the first time that he did something that he kind of knew was not kosher mm-hmm. aside from pranks. Yeah. And he tried to hide it or tried to like, you know, oh no, it's nothing. You know? Yeah. But you know, your reaction was not like, Ugh, or like, how dare you? It was just a conversation. Mm hmm. And I think that sets up a good precedent for how we're going to be as parents, that he doesn't feel like he needs to hide things from us Mm -hmm. or he's free to talk about stuff with us. Yeah. And that we're not going to, like, be assholes about it. Even if it is something that's frankly horrible. Yeah. That it's it's not. It's it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to be curious. Yeah. And I feel like if Celine had reacted more the way that the sisters at the Church of the Mother would have reacted to something similar, it might have been a case where Jareth might equate, oh, she's reacting just the way that the sisters did when I I wanted to do something that I wanted to do. And his curiosity might have become something beyond curiosity Mm -hmm. because... Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, it's like, oh, they don't want me to do this and they're getting, it's like, they're getting mad at me. Well, I'm going to do it just to piss them off. It's more that, like, this must be something that is desirable because the things that the sisters of the Church of the Mother would urge him away from were things that felt natural to him. It's even, uh, uh, there's another way to look at it, too. It's that I'm curious about this thing, but obviously they don't like this thing. So instead of being open about this thing, I'm still going to pursue it, but hide it. But be secretive, yeah. Yeah. And so I think, I remember playing that and being like, I should be upset about this. Like, Celine should react badly to this. But I think that's one of those things of like, it's expected that a religious person is going to react a certain way to things that are in opposition of their dogma. Mm -hmm. And so it was interesting to just kind of, instead of, going along those kind of comfortable story beats to go with what was instead not necessarily uncomfortable, but not expected. Mm -hmm. I like that we set that up or that you specifically set that up. It set a good balance because like, you know, Celine is very like undead or no. Yeah. A Mm -hmm. big no, no. And, you know, as we go through the story that becomes more, you know, more apparent and that becomes an issue. So, it's it's good to set up this like here's a like a relatively innocent like search of undead Mm -hmm. it's like here's how to or here's the theory or whatever and she's presented with this and doesn't freak out and i think that that means a whole lot Mm -hmm. yeah i thought it was uh, as as i thought about it i was like no that was a good decision good job me i liked that decision good job me it's kind of the it kind of just 
gives you the baseline of the kind of parents that we are. Mm-hmm. It's like, we're going to have a discussion. I'm a cool mom. I guess. <laughs> um, I think it, it's more the we're... It's like... I hate to equate it to this, but you know those millennial... Like, you know those millennial moms that are just like, you know, if you have a conversation with your child when they're having a, a meltdown, it'll be better in the long run. That's kind of true. Yeah. They're, they're screaming and crying and throwing a fit right now. But if you talk to them about it and like literally have a conversation with them and calm them down that way instead of screaming at them to stop screaming. Yeah. It does wonders. It might not work right away, mm-hmm. but it works. And that's kind of how I equate these two as being like, the millennial parents Mm -hmm. that would rather have a conversation rather than scream and yell. Yeah. Like, even when they're upset. But Mm -hmm. we, I mean, we haven't gotten upset at either of the kids. That's kind of how I I always saw their parenting style Mm -hmm. is very like, you know, let's talk about it. Yeah. I mean, that's the way Talia grew up. Yeah. Imagine an entire, like, community full of millennial parents (laughs) that are like, their little tiny monster is screaming their head off about something and they decide to go sit down and have a conversation. But that's how wolves learn to deal with their emotions. Yeah. Is they learn to process them and you process them by talking them out. And I think Celine was coming at it from a different angle where it was like, this is how I wish I had been treated mm-hmm. when I was this age. And so I'm going to treat this person the way that I wish I had been. Yeah. Especially because he knew exactly the way you had been treated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Parenting. Parenting. Doing it right. And then Victoria's trial. Mm. Well, get, first getting back to Airpike, we get to meet two uh, very consistent characters, James and Sarah. Sarah. Mm-hmm. Again, I say this about all of your NPCs, but two of my favorites. <laughs> Actually, I will unequivocally say James is my all-time favorite NPC. Awesome. Every, like I-, I love all of your NPCs. And the broker's way high up there. But I personally love James the most. Yeah? Yeah. I'm glad. No, because he was also uh, from the beta test. Uh-huh. Uh, he was actually not, like, in charge of the of the DMP in that game. He was uh, in charge of, I think it was the Ubendale office. He was middle management. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Ubendale's a mess. <laughs> But yeah, it was just like, ah, you guys aren't starting an air bike. You guys are like, often you guys are in Ubendale. Right. And so it was, and uh, yeah, James Wilde was uh, still the Will Smith face claim that he, <laughs> that we that, love. That we love, yes. Yeah. Also, Is Royal Freshness? <laughs> <laughs> that was a long, that, that was a long time ago. <laughs> no, but the, the trial and uh, like meeting... James and getting to see the trial and the non-execution. That was really interesting as to play as Celine because Celine has a lot of feelings all the time. You don't say. Yeah. <laughs> and chief among those feelings is frustration. She feels frustration very keenly. And this was one time where... They had chased this woman all across the district. She had done horrible things, not only to the district, but also against the Undertaker. And so when she got away, it was such a morale drain on Celine, who felt like she had failed. And when the Undertaker was like, patience, she was like, no, <laughs> you can't fucking tell me that. And so it was interesting for her to get so angry with the Undertaker 
even though she was doing this in the name of The Undertaker. But again, 22. Yeah. I, I It was actually one of the, I, I will say, the first instance where we failed. Yeah. Yeah. And, in the game. And that was something that was kind of important mm-hmm. uh, to me. I agree. Is Did that I? I wanted you guys, I want you guys to try. And I, I let you guys try. And you guys, like, did really well too. Like the whole idea of the mark on her hand, that was that was really slick. And I I had her roll perception checks like at disadvantage even and like she made it to know that they did something to me. Mm-hmm. There was a way for you to succeed. Mm-hmm. However, at the same time, I I feel like it makes for a better story the fact that it's, that they oh, failed. Yeah, definitely, uh, I I agree. Because one thing that can get really boring is this idea that since you're the hero, you can't fail. Yeah. And gods, that's boring. However, at the same time, I don't like putting in things where there is no option to succeed. Right. Right. The deck was heavily stacked against you. This, the trial, the hanging, everything had been rigged and choreographed. But yeah, I wanted that element of there, you guys could succeed, and you almost did. <laughs> like, and that's what made it better. I think is we that got you so you fucking got, close. You got so close, and that's what makes the failure that much worse. Yeah, like that's what makes it hurt that much worse. Is we got so close, and we know that she's still alive, mm-hmm. and we almost like practically we did almost everything right. Yeah, like. We were we were there to help Yaldin. We followed her trail. We got a little help, but we were there at Blue Peak before things got worse. Yeah, like we, we captured used every her. single resource we could. We did everything. Like we made sure the Venasi didn't kill her outright. Like we brought her to justice. Something Talia was extremely proud of because normally she would have just been like, "No, fuck it, shoot her." Yeah, but she she was. She but was, they were determined, and I think. This is where, uh, at least from Celine's point of view, like a lot of times people, because Celine is such a trickster, like how is she a lawful character? But this was one instance where the fact that she is lawful kind of stood out. Like, yes, we could just kill her, but I want her to face what she's done. Yeah. And like, oh, listening to those episodes while you were editing, like the part that just fucking haunts me and haunts Celine is when the top brass comes and takes all of the schematics and shit. Yeah. And like, yeah. Like oh. when we were listening to that while we were editing it, I was just like, we could have prevented so much bullshit if we, that had we just, just know is coming down the tube. Yeah. Like, like she's gonna come back. We know it's gonna happen. She's gonna come back. It's gonna be bad. And that's the moment we could have just lied. Yeah. We could have said, we don't have any of it. We destroyed it. But it's one of those things where retrospectively, you know, we we can say, like, we should have lied. But in the moment, we had no reason not to. We had yeah. no we had no way of knowing that they were untrustworthy. Yeah. Talia didn't. This was the first time, like, ta- the first time that we go to Air Pike in game. That's the first time Talia went. She avoided big cities. Yeah. She had been in some of the smaller big cities, but she stayed to the outskirts. She had no idea about government, nothing. She stayed in the wilderness. She was like in and out of farmland. Yeah. Like she had no concept 
of who and who was trustworthy or not. And Celine, very similar, though. She didn't have as much of an aversion to big cities as Talia did, just because she grew up in Blue Peak, which is a pretty big place. Yeah. And she'd been to Air Pike a handful of times. Yeah. But she, because she was on such, she was so much on the fringes of society and she wanted to wander so badly, like, she didn't really have an idea of who was trustworthy and not. Yeah. And, and she could, she could have that kind of spidey sense where she could, like, kind of tell that, like, haunted one thing, but... But you guys had met James and Sarah. Sarah's chief constable and she seemed all right. Sarah was an instant, like, Talia connected with Sarah on a weird level because actually, well, Selene is lawful neutral sometimes, sometimes lawful evil. Sometimes lawful evil. Depending on if she's in a good mood or a bad mood and it could go either way. Um, Talia is chaotic good, chaotic neutral. She kind of fluctuates between those two. She doesn't have a lot of respect for authority and she has her own code, but... It doesn't mean that she's an idiot about it. I actually have a really big problem with chaotic characters just going, it's like, I don't follow authority at all. It's like, eh, well, then you're kind of a shitty person. Yeah. And Talia does have a very strong moral code. And I think that's what she connected with on with Sarah. Yeah. In a sense that Sarah is very much a lawful good character. Yeah. And there was this like there's a moment where they're trying to like kind of like connect with each other on like where they're at with things and Talia made it very clear she's like you know we're on the right side of this for the most part like we're on your side we're trying to help you know we're just kind of rag you know a rag tag type of way of of doing it yeah and at that point we had no reason not to trust this government I mean, we can metagame, I guess. Because I remember, I think Jess was the one who's just like, why did you give them the information? <laughs> and Jess was like, like yeah. mad at us. Yeah, they, sh- they were so upset. Shout out to Jess. <laughs> we love you, Jess. Yeah, they like were like, there's no way I would have given them that. It's like, we had no logical reason. Well, were you yeah. there? Were you here, Jess? No. No. Uh. Like, I didn't know for sure. I <laughs> The one thing that kind of... That kind of tingled my spidey sense was when I tried to give him the journal or something that didn't have anything to do with Victoria's work and was more just about her life. And yeah. he was like, I don't want this. We tried to give them the, the records. Yeah, the records. The it's notes, just like, like the audio. Don't need, we don't need those. Yeah, we need the schematics. That also kind of like made everybody go, hmm, hmm, weird. But it was like, well, the tree would know better than us, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Here's another reason why... Again, this was all going through my head when this was happening, was that Talia hasn't quite gotten wind to the fact that people are just kind of corrupt yeah. in yeah. general. So if Leroy Brown is trying to become the next governor, the governor currently must be the better choice. And who runs... Well, you're top not brass. Wrong, and probably. Who, and who runs top brass? The governor. The governor. Yeah. Ergo, this is, and, you know, which is also tied to Sarah. Sarah mm-hmm. is good. James trusts Sarah. Yeah. You know, that, that kind of web of logic. I mean, also keep in mind, uh, my poor child has a negative two. Two <laughs> Intelli- yeah. intelligence uh, for a modifier. She has a six to like intellectual. Um, she's pretty high on the yeah. wisdom, but like it, it, like logically, it didn't make sense for them not to give it to them. Yeah, especially if they were trying to play nice as DMP members. Oh yeah, absolutely. which they were also trying to do. 
So wow, yeah, that was a big old rant on that. Sorry. Also, I forget. Did the Leroy Brown reveal happen in season one or did that? Season one. No, that, okay, that was. Season one. Okay. Happened in Ubendale the first time we got there. That was that's right. right. That that's was right. Right before we joined the DMP. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yep. Yep. So that wasn't the first time you've been in Ubendale. That would be the first time after you got Death Whisper. Yes. One thing that I wanted to talk about a little bit, this is right after we bring Victoria in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Celine torturing a certain gnome to death. Mm, yeah, yeah, that yeah. scene. Oh, man. Yeah, like walk, walk us through that. Yeah, so I think it was kind of a natural progression for me because I didn't think like, and then I'm going to torture someone at some point. <laughs> but you know how you were saying earlier how Celine, she started manifesting these kind of fairy behaviors even yeah. without thinking about it yeah and it was things like parties and dancing and and playing tricks this was kind of along those lines but the darker side of being a fairy yeah and that the capacity for cruelty and a not small amount of sadism yeah what do you two think about that like me personally i thought it was kind of Kind of like, damn. Yeah. This shit just got real. Yeah. You know, it was an interesting idea that we introduced. And I was just like, okay, yeah, let's go with this. Uh, Tally, I think, was a little bit weirded out by it. Not Mm -hmm. necessarily by... This kind of goes into spoilers for the next season, so I won't talk too much about it. But Talia was weirded out by it. But it was mostly that, like, she had never seen that before. Like that, that specific side, that, that side of Celine? No, no, no. That specific thing happened. No, no, no. Not that side of Celine. Uh, She's seen that side of Celine. Ah. Uh, it's just it was like she had never seen that specific thing happen in front of her from Celine. Uh-huh. So it's just like, okay, that was weird. Let's that's try, new. That that's new. Let's try not to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we'll have to see if we actually do that. But yeah, <laughs> it was it, it was an interesting like for Talia. It wasn't really off putting as much as it was just like mm, that was a little uncomfortable. Let's try not to do that to other people. Yeah. Which is why the next time we were presented with a, a Vanasi and the opportunity to torture someone, uh-huh. Talia is just like, mm-mm, mm-mm, let's not do that again. <laughs> kind of a thing. Yeah. How about you, Molly? Um, At the time it was happening, I was just like, OK. Damn, Celine! Celine's trying to kill, like torture a guy to death, it, yeah, trying to induce cardiac arrest. Yeah, and then right afterwards, it was just like that was really fucked up. <laughs> Says the woman who made the spiders with the with teeth. human mouths and growlers and all that other shit. It's like this is fucked up. Yeah, yeah. This is this is cake compared to some of the shit you've thrown at us. <laughs> well. See, I'm I'm doing these things as like you know villains and and monstrous things, and you guys are are the players. It's it's my job to do the fucked up things. Oh, I see. So I'm getting into your lane. <laughs> I see how it is. It's one of the things that I I think at this point I had kind of decided about Celine is that Talia has a vicious streak. Incredibly. She can be very ferocious and very brutal. Celine has a cruel streak, mm-hmm. which is there's there's a distinction between the two. Oh yeah, where Talia can be extremely violent, can enact extreme violence on people that have wronged her, but 
I feel like if Talia had been in charge of this situation, it wouldn't have been nearly so cruel. Because this gnome, even though he was a Vanasi, he hadn't done anything, really, personally. I mean, he tried to kill us, but... Yeah, but... Uh, that, I mean, lots of people try to kill just, us. That's just an occupational hazard, really. That's a Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, <laughs> he was a Vanasi. Yeah, they're kind of terrible. And, you know, they're kind of genocidal maniacs. But he's just he's an idiot. Like, mm. let him go. Just just let him go. Like, I, I can see Talia doing something like that. She probably wouldn't have let him go, but she definitely wouldn't have... She would have beat the shit out of him. Uh-huh. Like, as soon as they were done questioning him, she probably would have, like, punched him. Yeah. Really fucking hard to get rid of the... Mm-hmm. The, the, the glamour. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, that, like, but the thing is that Talia has justifiable reasons for doing the, this stuff. She's more practical about it. Mm-hmm. Celine wanted to torture this guy for the sheer pleasure mm-hmm. of watching someone die from fear and another like difference that i that i kind of see between the two of you is talia's like rage not rage but fury or mm-hmm. uh, ferociousness has almost like an element of fire to it mm-hmm. however that can eventually burn out or even just calm down Celine is Celine's cruelty when it emerges is like this cold, empty vacuum of space. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. She runs cold. Yes, and that goes back to the idea of cold iron, mm-hmm. and like iron is cold, silver is hot, mm-hmm. and so again, more parallels that are both opposite and complementary. Yeah. So it was interesting to me to compare these two people that have the capacity for immense amounts of violence, Mm -hmm. but how different they are about it. Yeah. Yeah. And as we'll see in the upcoming season, Celine has some feelings about that. Yep. And we also can see where Talia's rage can go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So with everything, Victoria's still alive. Leroy Brown, one of the people that killed... Talia's packs running for governor. Yep. Mm. That's where we find ourselves at the end of season one. Is that where we find ourselves at the end of season one? Because if I remember correctly, something else happens right at the end of season one. It's almost indeed. like it's almost like we go grave digging or something. That indeed. Now I will say this about our editing process: it did not originally end there. No, I think I, was, was I the one that came up with the idea to do a cliffhanger? Or was it you? I think we were both kind of like you were the one who like we were talking about the end of it, and it's like I don't like where it ends here. Just kind of like it just it, it ended at the train station. Yeah, and I remember all of us actually were just kind of like, eh. Mm. You were the one though who was just like, no, 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 it needs to end at this particular part, and that's what started the whole oh, we're going to be the cliffhanger show. Yeah. We are, and there's going to be more. Yep. Wait for that. Oh, Zachariah. Oh. Which we'll talk a little bit more about Zachariah as a skull when we talk about season two. Yes. Yes. But uh, I remember being so excited for that cliffhanger. I also remember being excited that I finally found the wandering ox. (laughs) (laughs) yes the wandering ox the best the best nat one 
fuck you. That was great. That was really, see, that's what I talk about. It's like when you get a nat one on a skill check, funny shit happens. Yeah. Funny shit should happen. It should. Like, what, what, why are you playing this game? Yeah. Yeah. Like, unless it's a grim dark game. I mean, even then, you've got gallows humor. Yeah. So yeah. it's like. Uh, Megs, were there things you wanted to bring up? Yes. So I want to talk a little bit about Talia and Celine's origins, because like we said at the beginning, uh, this was kind of a haphazardly put together, like we're bored, let's let's do something for funsies and record it, because why not kind of thing that, uh-huh. as it started. Um, I remember, Molly, you telling me a lot about the Wild West game while we were like at work and stuff. Yeah. And I remember thinking, Gunslayer sounds fun. And we had like, like you had talked about like maybe doing a Wild West game like with us at some point. Yeah. And I was like, Gunslinger sounds fun. And I had come up with this idea for a Gunslinger and you tell me a little bit about it. And then I think, Chris, you were the one that was like, no, we should do Talia and Celine. Because Talia and Celine were two OCs that we had, <laughs> that we'd had. Go ahead, say it. Okay. So there's this horrible show <laughs> called Teen Wolf. It's really bad. I don't recommend it. Unless you want to watch some garbage. If you're into garbage shows, this one is... Hot. This one is hot, hot garbage. And I do mean that literally. There are many pretty people. They tricked me with pretty people and the idea of maybe it being good. That ends immediately after after season two. After episode one, really. It's like... No, no, no. The first season is kind of like, eh, okay. I said what I said. Pretty people. Then you get to season two. It's like, ooh... Pretty people and possible plot. Ooh, ooh, this is getting good. And then season three happens and you're just like, what the fuck is this bullshit? And it never gets any better. Yeah. Ever. So this was, we were, because Chris was super into Teen Wolf for a hot second. Again, I'd only see the first two seasons. Yeah, no, no, it's it's okay. We all we all have our shameful past. Yeah. <laughs> you should know not to take a sip when I'm about to say something funny. Get away from me. Anyway, and so we were hot off season three. And we're just kind of like feeling really bummed. Like this is this has been bad this whole time, hasn't it? It's, it's like Sherlock. Oh <laughs> yeah. It's it's been bad the whole time. We just thought it was good because we were fooled. <laughs> they got us. What fools we were. They and I got said, you, you know, with attractive people. You know what would make this story better? Lesbians. Lesbians. And so we're like, we're going to rewrite Teen Wolf. <laughs> we're we going did. To, we're going to take the the in the universe that they had created, because that was at least a little, that had some potential. It was at least a little bit interesting. At least it was entertaining. And we are going to rewrite it with lesbians. And we had Tala. It wasn't Talia then, it was Tala. It was Tala. And I had Celine. And it was like this, it was like a high school drama with supernatural elements and it was great fun and yeah, it was it was grand old time. Not much to say about it. It was really just kind of like, eh, you know, whatever. But I forget how, I think it was you that brought up Talia and Celine for, yeah. Wild, for um, Play Wild West. Yeah, we have a stock of like OCs that we kind of play around with and we just like shove really them into different... We don't really make new characters. We just kind of revamp the old ones. Yeah, so Talia and Celine kind of fit into a archetype that we like to run, which is the, you know, the butch and a femme who are like better than everybody and know it mm-hmm. and want you to know it. And you do know it. Yeah, so think, uh, uh, think Haruka of Michiru. Uh, Sailor Uranus and Sailor Neptune from, from Sailor, Sailor Moon. Moon. Think those two, except like are, are very aware they're better than you and aren't trying to be nice about it. <laughs> um, so Italian Sling kind of fit into that archetype of like something we just totally turns our crank. 
And I thought it would be really fun to like stick them in the Feywild West setting, like that Molly had been telling us about. It's like, that would be really cool. And it's like, but Talia would have to be the gunslinger. Because Gunslinger is a bit more rough, and yeah. Talia is definitely the butch of the crew. And I remember being very pouty for a hot second. You did. I was. I was. I was a little. I was. I, I had a tood because I was like, I wanted to shoot stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm just imagining Selena as a gunslinger. I'm just like that'd be hot, right? Let's be real. That would be hot. Sharpshooter. Mm, yes, that would be hot. Anyway. Anyway. Should do an AU. Oh, we do it all the time, baby. All the time. Oh, yeah, 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 I know. All the time. We have we have AUs for this story already. Yeah. We have Venasi AU. We have Saltwater Taffy AU. That's right. We have modern day AU. Okay, okay. You attitude for a little bit. Yeah. It was actually a very hot minute because like you were like, no, I wanted to be the gunslinger. It's like it's like, yeah, but she could be like uh, like a cleric, like a grave cleric or mm-hmm. something. Well, start. Uh, let's start. Let's let's keep on Talia for a minute because talk about how she developed. Because the two of you did a lot of kind of practice RPs and and huh. like talking about it while I was at work. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Ta- RPs <laughs> specifically uh, between Talia and the broker. Yes, because originally the broker had more to do with Talia. And I had this very, like, again, Talia kind of fits in with the archetype of, you know, the the butch lesbian kind of a thing. So keeping with that, it's like, okay, that really fits in with, like, the lone gunslinger look of, like, the, you know, the sort of outcast from society. And you can, like, like, just picturing that in your head, like, the butch woman gunslinger outcast like that incorporates it a very specific image that almost anybody could like immediately have something in their head with so it's already especially if you're familiar at all with american cinema and westerns that's like yeah that's a very specific image and it's so good yeah Uh, well one of the things i'm a closet wild west freak i know Um, i didn't know this about you until two years ago yeah I, i had been with you at that point for 12 years yeah and i was like I am a closeted Wild West nut, but a very specific type of Wild West. Like, um, I mean, I am now too. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I, I, my grandmother actually um, lived in Deadwood, South Dakota. Um, that's a little bit north as far as what people assume is like the Wild West, but oh boy, is there a Wild West aesthetic in South Dakota in general? Mm-hmm. And I had uh, so much inspiration when I went there, and. Um, it's not part of my blood, but my grandfather that my grand my grandmother married a man who was not my biological grandfather, but Grandpa Buck was a member of uh, the Lakota tribe mm-hmm. down there. So Sue, if you're not familiar, and so we had a lot of that in our consciousness, I guess. And I've always been interested in that sort of thing. So when I think of the Wild West, I think of that you know that first nation heritage Mm -hmm. the the idea of that kind of image not necessarily the cowboy image but like you know frontiersman sort of thing uh the the taming quote-unquote of the wild west by people of color that's my image of the wild west and that's the one i kind of stuck to and i had i remember when i was like 15 i had this stupid little 
story in my head of like uh, a Lakota woman who is also a bounty hunter went into Deadwood in the 1800s and fell in love with a saloon girl and they rode off into the sunset together. Don't come at me. I was 15. Hey, we've all been there. <laughs> yeah. We've all been there, babe. But yeah, so I have a clause. So I was really into that kind of imagery. And then when Molly told me about this world, it like all of my imagination just went boom and like fireworks. And I'm like, that's exactly the shit that I'm into. Add in the steampunk and I'm like 8 million percent there. And so I got really excited when Molly is like, yeah, I'll run you through this. And we started kind of coming up with a character. Again, we thought this was going to be a one shot. So it was very like, okay, we need some like really quick elements. And I wanted very specific Wild West tropes. Mm -hmm. Because if you're going to run a fucking Wild West game, have some goddamn tropes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And have put take old tropes and put new spins on them. Exactly. So we took the lone bounty hunter slash slight outlaw wanderer of the frontier that comes in and it's got like a dark continence and just like, you know, just kind of, you know, everyone stops when they walk into the, the saloon and they come over and get a drink and the bartender's like, you know, hands you the drink and he's like, I want another one after he drinks it. It's like, we don't want your kind here. That, that, that kind of image. <laughs> That's the character I want. Yeah. And we worked it out, and Molly and I worked it out and kind of came up with this whole, like, it's like, okay, what's interesting? Well, Talia originally was a werewolf. Can I do something with that? Molly's like, you could be a shifter. That's a half werewolf. Yeah. And so I tried to take the original elements of what Talia was, or Tala at the time, mm -hmm. and make her something that would fit the Wild West. And we didn't have a big story planned yet. No, it was no. Like, we didn't have the whole thing with her pack was murdered by three people. Mm -hmm. That was something that we came up with later. Yeah. But um, pretty quickly. Pretty quickly because, but for originally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We hadn't come up with that. Um, but it was very, so it was very like, you know, here's the tropes I want to go with and, and here's this. And then Molly came up with the idea. It's like, you know, it's just like, so she's on a revenge quest. It's like, you know, who would help her with the revenge? Yeah. It's like the broker. It's like, oh, well, tell me more about the broker. Because you had mentioned him in passing, but not really. It's like, well, the broker does this. It's like, hell yeah, I'm sold 80 million percent. Yeah. And we started doing little mini, like little practice RPs of the two talking. Started getting my accent down horribly. <laughs> God, it went so Texas. Um, it's okay. I was German for a you while. You were German for a couple episodes. So... It, so I was getting really excited about like this character because it like fit into all the different tropes that you could get excited about and yeah. like immediately recognize as Wild West. Even though we were going into a Victorian style home, mm -hmm. we could be these Wild West tropes. Yeah. And then when Celine was being created. So the thing that really solidified us bringing Talia and Celine into this story is that in Celine's original incarnation, she was part fairy. Yeah. And so it was like, well, that seals it. <laughs> but yeah, I was still mopey because I wanted to shoot stuff. That's right. And then Molly showed you. Yeah. So but then we decided on Cleric and I was like, okay, well, at, before or the other game we were playing, I was playing a fighter. So I'm like, okay, playing a caster could be fun because... You know, sure, whatever. I, I like playing all kinds of different characters. So a lot of times I try to do something that I haven't done before just because I get bored with stuff. But I was asking Molly about the world and I was like, okay, so 
what gods do we have? Do we have the normal gods? And she's like, no, here's the gods you've got. And she's like listing them off. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm being cleric of the mother because she's the, you know, the healy one. Since I'm going to be the healer, healer, I'm just, you know. And then you you listed all, all of them off. And at the end, you're like, and then there's the undertaker. And I'm like, ooh, tell me more. And you're like, well, I don't know. It's You're kind of like hemming and hawing. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Tell me more. I need to know more about this because then I'm getting at this idea in my head. Death cleric. Yeah. Like a healer who worships death. How sick is that? Yeah. And so it was like we were going through the mechanics and uh, you were like, so you have life and death. And I'm like, well, I guess I go life. And you're like, and then there's grave. And I'm like, again, tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) And then you showed me the little animation, which we'll link in the show notes of that was one of the big inspirations that you had for the undertaker the backwater gospel the backwater gospel oh an excellent little short i would watch a whole fucking movie of that uh, right yeah i was watch. i remember you showing it to me because that's the next thing you did is like you showed the animation and it's short and i was like i want to see like a whole like two and a half hour movie of this shit yeah but undertaker's coming he's yeah. off idea <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and so that was like okay that's like sold this is what we're doing and then you chris were the one because i was like okay so she's gonna be all in black and you're like no no no, keep her in white because her original incarnation wore a lot of pastel colors and like dressed very very frilly girly yeah and i was like yeah that's this is it i got it and it was and i think originally we had planned because we like i said we were going to do the other game as a podcast as well we had decided when that game was over we were going to do a wild west game yeah and then as just a like for funsies let's do death house and i and one of us was like well record it because we have to you you were i was probably the one yeah i'm like we don't do anything without the mic on now yeah like it feels weird if we we're don't. practicing turn the mic on yeah we're having a meeting turn the mic on why not why because if we don't need it then we won't use it but if we do need it and we don't have the mic on we're gonna be upset yeah so yeah that's how talia and celine i think it was somewhat like after like after we realized this was going to be a like a long-term game that's when we decided to actually like start fleshing some stuff out and one of the best decisions was actually i think for celine I'm a very aesthetic person. Like, I have to have things be very aesthetically correct. Mm -hmm. So, like, when people are making characters and stuff like that, and I'm like, you need to make this more steampunk Mm -hmm. because this is a steampunk game, and steampunk is extreme aesthetic to, to, you know, kicked up to 11, you know? So we were, like, working off of a steampunk aesthetic for the Wild West, and I think it was me that mentioned... I'll, I'll take credit for it, but... I don't know if it was me for specifically, but the idea of Celine be her look and her overall like aesthetic being based off of the spiritualist movement. Yes, that was you. That was my one of my favorite things because that's a like I'm also a big history nut. I think spiritualism was a little bit after Wild West, but it's like it was, but whatever. It was along the same lines, but like when you've got that. But the Wild West, the Victorian era, and that kind of like that kind of mixes together yeah. when it comes to steampunk. So the idea of Celine be like having her tarot cards, having her spear board, like all of these things were like very spiritualist inspired, and that like made me so happy because it like ties in everything really, really nicely. That actually provides a fantastic segue to my next point. 
which is I want to talk about Celine's card readings. Oh, oh yeah. Because this was something that came about, I think we've talked about it before in like Q&As and such. Yeah. But this is something that came about pretty early on was I was going to have tarot cards. Or I think at the beginning in Death House, I found the card deck. Yeah. And I was just going to draw a card. And I, I was like, what card do I draw off the top? And I like read it with Cardomancy, which yeah. is a bit different than tarot reading. But I think after that, I pulled out my tarot deck and I'm like, okay, I'm going to actually like have my cards here. Yeah. And I don't remember the first reading I did like at the table, but I it was shortly after that that I actually started pulling cards. And my thought being is that even though the situation is one that's made up, the question that I am posing to the cards as a player playing this character is real. And I've gotten some scary, accurate readings. Yeah. Like... There's there's been some readings that have made very little sense. Like it's it's really funny because we've gotten some readings that have been like this is kind of ridiculously like on point. There's been times where I've looked up to see Molly's reaction and she's been like like her eyebrows have gone like climbing towards the top of her head for a second and then we'll like kind of go okay and and just kind of like smooth out but I'm like oh I caught that. <laughs> she got something. Mm -hmm. And then there's been times I remember this very distinctly, but I can't remember what situation it was. I do. I remember. Okay. I, I know what you're going to tell. You gonna say. you had you had done a reading, and we were just like, I don't. You she you were just like in game. You're like, I don't really know what this means. It's like, well, nah. so it's like that didn't work out. And then we were when we were editing it, and we were listening back to it. We we're just like. Oh my god, it was foreshadowing something that happens way later. It's in season two, and so when we do the discussion on season two, I will talk about that. Yeah, we'll, we'll go into that like, yeah. on specifics. Um, and I think over the course of the entire campaign thus far, there have been four times. That, is, that have stacked the deck? Yeah, that we that we have stacked the deck. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember the first one being Jareth. First one was Jareth, yeah. But that was mostly just to surprise him. Yeah, yeah. I think Celine actually was like, like, I want to get this one and this one and this one. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that was on purpose to surprise him. There's, like, hey, guess what? You're adopted. I think that I've only ever stacked the deck once. Because I think I, it was at... Um, Camp Farms. Yes, it was during Homecoming. Right. I asked you, what cards do I get? It must have been after that that I started actually doing card readings at the table because that's when I just started pulling them instead of asking you what I got. Oh, I don't remember like that late though. No, no, no. No, no, I, no. no you, you were pulling cards. You were but pulling cards. You I were think... asking something specific about. I was asking the Undertaker something. You were asking yeah. the Undertaker about Dust Whisper, mm -hmm. and asking if it was okay. And Molly had to like basically Molly is just like let me see the the thing that has mm -hmm. like let me she, let me look some up. Yeah, let me yeah. look some up because she specifically wanted a specific answer mm -hmm. um, about because Dust Whisper was a specific part of the story and she wanted to make sure that Celine was okay mm -hmm. with with Death Whisper going forward. So she purposely stacked the deck to make sure that Celine would get something that's like, you're having a lot of anxiety, but it's unfounded, everything's okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of a thing. And then after that, there's only been like a couple of times that I think we've stacked the deck for like poignancy. Yeah. But it hasn't been Sometimes we just haven't needed to. Most of the time we haven't needed to. Yeah, we haven't. And that's the funny part. Yeah, that's, like, that's the... And, I mean, yeah. say what you want about tarot, but that shit's crazy. That's that's fun. There Also, I will say there have been times, they've been few, but there have been times when I've seen the cards and I'm just like, that's a better idea. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask that. That was one of my questions. That, uh, well, since you brought that up, 
my question was like, has there ever been a time where you, you know, Celine has like looked at the cards and given a reading, given a reading, and you've been like, I like that better. I like this idea better. Yeah, I can't remember any specific instance, but I know there's been it probably over the last two years a total of five times. Cool. That's kind of cool though. Me. Yeah. I like that. That's an interesting little idea. And my last point is one thing that we didn't really get to go over is that after we go to Airpike for the first time, mm -hmm. it is revealed that Celine was the one that opened the Feywild up. That is that is a thing. So, so it's your fault. It's this. <laughs> no, it's not. It's just, it's not. <laughs> shit. 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 So, first thing is like, what was your thought process behind that? If you can remember, way, way, way back to 2018. Way, way back. It was back. a simpler time. We could go outside. <laughs> <laughs> the world wasn't ending. Maybe it was. We just uh, didn't see it. Part of it was actually kind of like a, like a realization of what I had been trying to do in the beta, in the beta game with the Sorcerer. Feywild Sorcerer. Mm -hmm. This connection, this... The, the reason that the Feywild was able to, like, connect back. Mm -hmm. Because, sure, the the God War fucked things up, and things had been kind of just floating back towards each other just because that's what the cosmos does. Mm -hmm. But there needed to be a catalyst to actually start allowing things through. Mm -hmm. And Celine, as we learn later has some important things to her to her history to her ancestry even mm -hmm. that led her to being in the right place at the right time and being the right person to push open that door so piggybacking off of that your dming style is so improvisational mm -hmm. so when you have these big story beats that you know you need to hit like how far in advance do you plan them and like how do you plan them? It's really weird because I'll get an idea. It's like, this is a thing that I could see happening <laughs> <laughs> that I that I would like to happen even. And because you drop hints super early. Like I do. Like with Victoria Gresham, like we had a hint in the third arc. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that goes all the way through the end of season one and probably beyond because she's not dead. I will say. Spoiler, she's not dead. I will I will say that sometimes my DMing style leads to trouble because with the example of Victoria Gresham, I had to stop and like crunch some numbers as far as like time. Mm -hmm. It's just like, okay, wait a minute. Because <laughs> when you guys like didn't pick it up, I almost thought that I would just end up dropping that thread. Mm. Like, mm. and that's the thing about my DMing style is, yes, I put things in, but I am like just as ready to drop things gotcha. if they end up just not continuing to be relevant to the story. Interesting, because Chris and I will be editing, and like, since we have, we're editing season three right now, we're starting to edit season three, and we are playing in season six. There have been times where it's like, Molly, you'll say something and we'll just look at each other like, that bitch. <laughs> yeah. And then like pause and be like, Molly! Yeah. Molly! And other times- How dare! Like, and what that, what that is, is I've dropped a hint. And then later, if we're kind of like mentally in the same area, I'll be like, 
Oh, yeah, this thing that I dropped, like, way the fuck back here. I'm just oh gonna... Oh, my God. How do you keep all that shit in your head? All I'm just gonna connect oh. that. I can barely remember, like, what my character did. Honestly, if you ask me right now, like, what are things that I have dropped that I am waiting to come down the line, I will have no idea. <laughs> until until they until come about. Until the boxing. moment. Until uh. the moment. And that's that's the thing. That's the way my brain works. It's just, like... Because I have to be in that similar, like, mental space and it'd be like, right, I did a thing and I can connect it now. Ah, that's Trixie. Yeah. That is Trixie. That is very Trixie. So that's all I have. What you got, babe? Um, I had a question. Or I, it goes back to Blue Peak and the fight with Elise. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, that was a really interesting fight because we were chasing down Victoria Gresham. And, the, and when we got there, she had, you know, her three little minions and and Richard and Richard, Richard. Um, huh. Richard was the name of a problem character more the player and the character were an issue um, so having him you know and that was that, murdered that, uh, that, murdered with butterflies was kind that, of this catharsis that, that was like the weekend that that other game fell apart and we were all pretty salty about it so we yeah. were just like and they were like, you know what, fuck it, Richard. I'm like, yes, perfect. Yeah. So that's where that comes in, if you, in case you were wondering why there was some random flies away, like it dissolves with butterflies or something like that. Sometimes we put in stuff for ourselves and that let you get you kids in on the joke later. Yeah. yeah. So, but with the fight with Victoria or the fight with Elise, because we like, we fought the minions. Then when we went to go get her, she was there with a knife and it was very, it was a very weird moment. Because we're basically fighting an unarmed, like compared to us, this woman is basically unarmed. Yeah, and an unarmed old lady. Not even old. She was like, she's like in her forties. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's just a middle-aged woman who has caused so much fucking destruction and pain and terror, and she's sitting there with a knife. Like that's gonna fucking do anything. And it's just, it was very odd. Like I knew there was more coming, but it was a very weird moment for Talia, who just, like, she immediately, like, knocked her out. Yeah. But it was so weird. And I, 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 I don't know where I was going with this, but it was something I wanted to comment on because it was such a weird moment, but a really good one as far as, like, this, like, this sudden shift of, like, here's this person that has caused this much fucking Because we're used horrible. to, we're used to, like forces that can cause that much destruction being very formidable themselves. And when it came down to it, Victoria Gresham was just a lady with a knife. Yeah. And it was like, are you kidding me? It was a weird sort of slap of reality. Yeah. That was really cool. She was, she was responsible for the death of hundreds of people. Yeah. Mass murder, uh, destruction of an entire town, pretty much. And necromancy, necromancy. Well, not even necromancy because not, not traditional necromancy, yeah. but like, yeah. And then all of a sudden there she is and she's basically defenseless. And it was such a weird slap of reality. It was very well done. I applaud you for that. Mm -hmm. um, it was one of those moments that stands out of just like, wow, <laughs> I don't just, like I knew Elise was going to be an issue. Oh, yeah. It was just a really cool moment of just like this woman got, went down so goddamn fast. She had like 10 fucking hit points. And I think that was just a really good idea, in yeah. my opinion, because 
It was also incredibly manipulative because depending on what you had planned for her, you knew us well enough that maybe we wouldn't let this old lady, not old lady, we wouldn't let this unarmed lady, this defenseless lady, we wouldn't just kill her outright, uh-huh. which leaves the door which leaves the door open for all the other shit that's gone on. Yeah. And so it's like you almost like in if in, I, <laughs> in giving her no defenses, you gave her the ultimate defense. Yeah, if I made her a threat, you would have killed her. Yeah. It was very good. It was very well done. Yes. It was what this was more like. I do know where I was going with this. It was a compliment. It was very fucking well done. Yes. Um, but I did have one more question and it's for everybody. Yeah. Um, of all, uh, like of the entirety of season one, uh, what would you guys have done differently? If you guys would have done anything differently. Blue Peak. The day of the mother. Oh, okay. Yeah. I would have done that differently. Uh, going Going back. I would have had well, I would have had that Nat twenty actually work, and I would have had you guys like get everybody out, and the fight would have changed from killing people to destroying the church uh-huh. instead. I think I think that would have been better. I don't know if it would have been better. It would have been different, and it would have given us another option. But I also appreciate that as a storyteller, you had a very specific idea. And mm. this one was fucking cinematic as shit. It was, but at the same time, just like the death of all those people in that space. It did, it did it, seem very gratuitous. Yeah, exactly. I can understand that. Um, I can't think of anything specifically. I would have like also in Blue Peak, I wouldn't have had Talia be so flippant about lots of lives. Just sort of, you know, like video game-esque dying. Oh, those sort are of people. A thing. <laughs> Well, those are people. Yeah, like, oh, God. Um, I, yeah, that one, that one I wouldn't have done. Oh, there's a couple of things, actually, that I would have done differently. One, that, just because that turned out really callous. Two, I probably would have had her start referring to her revenge in more along the lines of she wants justice. Like, I, I wish I would have framed it more of her seeking some type of resolution mm-hmm. rather than just outright killing them. Okay, yeah. Um, that's something I probably would have done a little bit differently. It works really well because, again, classic gun, you know, classic out for revenge against my yeah. family sort of thing. And I think um, it led to some good developments later. I think so, too. There was a couple of times where it was taken in sort of an interesting, like a weird direction. Mm-hmm. There's a couple parts in season two that um, where it's framed in like a negative light of like, you know, it's like revenge is bad. And it's just like, fuck you. These people committed genocide. I'm allowed. Yeah, oh yeah. You know, so there, I think that if you, if I presented it a little bit differently as far as like her not just seeking revenge, but seeking justice. Mm-hmm. Cause that's all she has ever wanted was justice. Yeah. I, I probably would have added that in a little bit more clearly mm-hmm. than I did. But, you know, revenge works, too. I would have made Celine plus size. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. that's. I think that's what one of the, one of the things I would definitely have done differently. Uh, but I think a lot of it was, since I'm doing the art, that I just didn't feel comfortable in drawing people of size, just because I'm used to drawing skinny anime girls. <laughs> and... It was something that I can't kind of thought of after the fact, like, damn, she would have been really cute plus size. Like, really cute. I'm trying to think, like, aside from what knowing what I know now about the nature of podcasting and the 
then things on kind of the back end of that. Mm. I'm trying to think of what I would do differently. Um, I definitely have critiques of myself when we were recording the the prologue in episode zero, as far as how I delivered a lot of my stuff. I remember you were having a, you were having a lot of issues with that, or you not a lot of issues, but you had a lot of issues when you were listening to yourself. Yeah, I mean, the, the, all of that was a learning curve for for all of us. We had mm-hmm. never done this before. Um, we had never really like. Like, I, it, yeah. You know what I would have done different? Hmm. I would have differ- differentiated three accents in particular that I am kind of stuck with now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. I, 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 I will help you out on the editing part of that. Like okay. making one having slightly lighter and then one slightly deeper. Okay, yeah. So I'll help you out with that. The broker, I do try to keep more of more of a draw. He's in... he, he's also he's also way chestier. Yeah, like as yeah. far as his yeah. like yeah. And uh, James, uh, like I have this idea of him like being like this kind of like no nonsense. Like done with everything always constantly. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Zachariah is kind of more like. Hey. Hey. Yeah. More peppy. Yeah. He's also, he's also way more nasally. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So that was season. That's our thoughts on season one. And, um, I, I thought they were all so lots of good thoughts. It was fun to hear some of your stuff, you know, from, from behind the screen, from behind the screen and such like that. And kind of some of our thoughts as we were kind of going through and things like that. And hopefully it gave a little more insight to, uh, Tally and Celine's personalities and such like that. And there's a lot more to come in season two, so stay tuned for that. Until then, everybody, stay legendary. Bye! Thanks for listening to our thoughts about season one. The Fey Wild West season three will premiere on October 5th for our patrons and October 7th for the public. In the meantime, head over to all of our social media pages to see all the fun things we'll have as extras for August and September. If you ever want to chat with us and some other really amazing people, join us on Discord. We have a memes chat and everything. Stay legendary.